there are some parts of the body I reckon most of us take for granted. Uh, your little toe, for example, your eyebrows, unless you're, you know, your wedding party shave them off the night before the wedding, taste buds and the humble pancreas. Here to tell you about this underdog of organs, Dr. Mike Todorovic and Dr. Matt Barton from Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Hello. Hello. Hi, Carol. How are you? Good, good. Now, the, the pancreas is uh, an organ that I have done very badly by. <laughs> and it has, in recent years, gone, bugger you, Higgins Divine. Uh -huh. I'm just not going to work properly yep. anymore. What is the pancreas? Do you want to start, Matty? Sure. Um, <laughs> well, if I must. <laughs> <laughs> so its name itself, P-A-N, pan, that means all. Mm -hmm. um, Kriaz means fre f flesh. <laughs> all flesh. <laughs> all flesh. So essentially, um, in terms of the English derivative of the term, that, that's Greek, mm -hmm. uh, it means sweet bread. And so I guess um, from an awful point of view, um, so when you eat other things than the muscles, like mm -hmm. um, liver and kidney, um, the pancreas, for some reason, has a sweet taste to it. Whether that's got to do with its job with sugar, I'm not sure. But that's its name. We've got a bit Silence of Lambs here. Yes, yes. This evening. With a nice Chianti. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how we like our pancreas. <laughs> so that's the direct meaning. Um, first of all, in terms of where I'll explain it's located, last week we... I got you to point out where you thought the um, appendix was. Mm. So, in relation to, the, again, the belly button, where do you think your, your pancreas is? Uh, I, I would say my pancreas is sitting uh, just under my boobs and in a bit. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? All right. Well, probably a number Mind of Mind you, they're sizable boobs, so it takes up a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> it takes up a lot of space. <laughs> It could be anywhere. <laughs> 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 oh, we're ticking ourselves the same way. Where is the pancreas? All right. Um, behind your stomach. So you're not too far off. Uh, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so it's kind of. <laughs> it wasn't always this way. <laughs> Okay, you two talk sensibly. <laughs> Moving away from the mic. <laughs> All right. So it's a it's a fairly deep organ. It's um, as I said, it's behind the stomach. It's kind of um, huddled in between the first part of the small intestine. Mm -hmm. So the small intestine, the first part is what we call the duodenum, and that that again that just means uh, I think twelve fingers. That's how long it is, and it kind of is a big C shape, and it kind of hugs the head of the pancreas, mm -hmm. and then the tail it kind of. Um, tapers off to a, a nice little tail, which is kind of right near the spleen. Oh, so it all just sits in there rather nicely. Nice yeah. and snug. And mm. um, it's a pretty ugly looking organ, really. I mean, if you yeah. if you look at it actually in the body, so if you for us, we do a lot of cadaver work with our students. So mm -hmm. if you were to do a slice straight in the middle from your kind of sternum down to your pubis and just opened up your abdomen, you'd have quite a lot of intestines that would fall out yep. and then a bit of stomach in the top part near, near your boob near boob <laughs> yeah it's all good <laughs> and then Half behind that have them. <laughs> behind that would be your pancreas it's yeah. a very yep. deep organ now the surgeons call it the line of the abdomen why uh 
two kind of reasons. They because it's kind of the king of the abdomen, so mm -hmm. you can't really live without it. Yeah, that's one. And the other thing is, if you annoy a line, it will cause a lot of problems. Mm. Yes. similar to your pancreas. So, any kind of trauma to your pancreas causes a lot of problems in your abdomen. Mm. Yeah. All right. So what role does it have then in digestion? So the pancreas plays a number of different roles. So we know that the pancreas plays that role when it comes to diabetes, for example, and it plays the role in regulating blood glucose levels. But that's called its endocrine role. But the pancreas also has something called an exocrine role, and this is its role with digestion. So mm -hmm. in actual fact, the pancreas has a tube or a duct that connects directly to the first part of the small intestines, the duodenum, which Matt said before. And when you, let's just say you were to take a bite of a burger, that mm -hmm. burger is going to have proteins, fats, and carbs. Now, in your mouth, your saliva breaks down the carbohydrates. In your stomach, the... Um, Proteins are broken down, and then the only thing that's left is the fats. And so once all these partially broken down carbs, partially broken down proteins, and all these fats go down into the first part of the small intestines, that's when the pancreas is triggered to release what's called pancreatic juices into the small intestines. Mm -hmm. And these pancreatic juices have more enzymes to break down the rest of the proteins, the rest of the carbs, and the fats as well. Uh, the other thing is that this tube that connects from the pancreas to the small intestines is also met by another tube that comes from the gallbladder and the liver, and this is where the bile comes in. Mm -hmm. So when the pancreas releases its pancreatic juices, at the same time the gallbladder will contract and squirt out bile. Now what bile does is it emulsifies fats. That's the term we use. It's basically like putting detergent on fat. Oh, it breaks okay. up big fat globules into smaller, more manageable pieces so that those enzymes from the pancreas can which are like molecular scissors, can chop the fat up and we can absorb it. So the great thing about the pancreas, the very important point is that when it comes to digestion, it can break down the proteins, break down the carbs, break down the fats, um, and very importantly, the fats. So if there's a mm. problem with the pancreas, for example, pancreatitis, there may be an issue with the fat breakdown because obviously carbs can happen in the mouth, proteins in the stomach, and the fat doesn't get absorbed and can pass all the way through the system and you can have a fatty stool. Oh, no one wants that. No one wants a fatty stool. <laughs> they really don't. So what's pancreatitis, an inflammation? Yeah, so pancreatitis yep. is uh, an inflammatory process of the pancreas. Uh, usually it's the result of those enzymes that the pancreas releases somehow getting stuck in the pancreas and auto-digesting itself. So basically breaking itself down mm. uh, and damaging that tissue. So that's pancreatitis, which... It, isn't very nice. No, is it painful? Very painful. Yeah, so that oh. type of pain you'd get would be pain in the abdomen, so yep. what, uh, the upper aspect of the abdomen and sometimes radiating to the back as well. So one of the things that need to occur would be pain relief medication. Yeah. Mm. Is there a reason why that pancreatitis might occur? Yeah, so you've got those ducts or those channels that mm -hmm. those juices get squirted out through and they can be blocked. That's the first thing. So it leads to an accumulation of the juices in the pancreas mm -hmm. or the cells that produce those pancreatic juices can actually be broken down and degraded, which means they release their enzymes. And so the two major causes of pancreatitis, one are gallstones. Yep. Uh, so, and usually the smaller gallstones because they need to travel all the way down and block that pancreatic duct. And the other one is alcohol abuse. So, mm -hmm. too much alcohol can damage the cells that produce those enzymes and actually result in a more viscous solution, a thicker solution of the pancreatic juice, uh. which means they sort of get caught up and block the ducts as well. Yeah. Are we going to talk about gallbladder separately at some point? 
Yeah, I think we'll probably yep. do that with the liver. All right. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll leave gallbladder alone then for now. <laughs> um, what then is the pancreas's function with blood sugar control? All right, so Michael spoke about that the um, the pancreas is kind of got two parts to it. We've got the exocrine, which is for all those enzymes, mm -hmm. and then we've got the endocrine, which we spoke about a while ago. Endocrine just means the cell crying. And so the, the, the hormones that the pancreas releases, there's, a, there's probably technically four. Mm -hmm. And there's, so with those four, they're, they're grouped into the cell type that releases it. So you have what we call alpha cells, beta cells, delta cells, and PP cells, I think. Mm -hmm. But the two ones I think I'll mention are the alpha and beta. Beta, that secretes what we call insulin, okay? Mm -hmm. And alpha secretes glucagon. Now, they play around with sugar levels. Now, because the pancreas is important for breaking down um, the carbohydrates into smaller molecules. So, if you think about your dinner last week when mm -hmm. we did your laxa, the noodles have to get broke, which noodles is essentially just big, long chains of glucose, which yep. starch. Mm -hmm. And so, what you need to do is just chop gluco glucose into its little bits so you can absorb it. And so the, the, the simple sugars are glucose, fructose, and galactose. And you can get those from starches. Mm -hmm. You can get it from um, lactose. So lactose um, is a combination of glucose, galactose, and you need an enzyme for that. Some people um, don't have that and they get lactose intolerance. Mm -hmm. Now, essentially, those three little sugars, they are the ones that will bring up your sugar levels in your blood. And that needs to be managed pretty quickly. And the hormone that does that is insulin. And so the pancreas um, in the beta cells, um, that senses that high amounts of sugar and it releases insulin into the blood, which gets taken first to the liver. And the liver is a really important uh, organ, which we'll talk about maybe next week or the mm -hmm. week after, about also storing glucose for another day. And it, it helps it store it in what we call glycogen, which is a kind of an animal method of storing glucose. Plants store glucose as starch, mm -hmm. animals store it as glycogen, and then it goes to your fat, to another place to store it, but it has to be modified into fatty acids to do that. So the way I like to think about it is when you eat something that's quite sugary, it'll go, obviously, in your mouth, down to your stomach, down into your small intestines, you'll absorb it into your bloodstream, and your cells want that glucose because when they take glucose from the blood, mm. they can create energy. And you can obviously do everything with that energy. But you need insulin to be able to take it from the blood into the cells. So the insulin is the key to open the doors to the cells. And so without that, insul without that insulin, the glucose is trapped in the bloodstream. And that's why diabetics, for example, without that insulin, their blood sugar levels start to rise and rise and rise. They feel like they need more sugar because mm -hmm. they feel tired, lethargic. Uh, they feel like they need more energy. So their brain goes, you don't have any sugar, but it doesn't realize that the sugar's there. It's Stupid just brain. inaccessible. <laughs> that's right. Okay. So that's what happen is happening with diabetes. So mm. what has happened to cause uh, that, that release of insulin to be ineffective? So it really depends if it's type 1 or type 2 diabetes, for Okay, example. let's go type 1 because they often get a hard time for something that's totally not under their control. Very true. So yep. type 1 um, usually recognises early onset diabetes, mm -hmm. uh, is an, predominantly an autoimmune issue in which those beta cells are getting targeted by the immune system and being told to basically 
just get destroyed mm. and so they br those cells break down and they don't make any insulin so the insulin production is very very low and ultimately absent which means that what will happen over time and again this usually happens early on in life that these individuals find it hard to gain weight because mm -hmm. they can't get that energy from the sugar <clears throat> excuse me they get quite tired and lethargic uh, and then ultimately likely they'll go to the doctor and they'll find out that they're blood sugar levels are quite high, uh, and they've got no insulin coming through. And without mm. any insulin, your body starts to use another energy source where it breaks down fats in your body and turns those fats into something called ketones, which your body can use for energy. Yeah. Um, but the side effect of using ketones is you produce a lot of acid, and so your blood becomes very acidic. And so these individuals, just before they get diagnosed, they're quite thin, they're tired, lethargic, and they've got something called ketoacidosis. Okay. They'll, they'll pee a lot, drink a lot, mm -hmm. eat a lot, lose weight. And eventually, if untreated, you will die from that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how all children before the invent or the discovery of insulin would have died. They mm. would have went into a coma and they just wouldn't have come out of it. Right. Did, uh, before that, did people know what was going on? With the body, they just couldn't treat it? Yeah, so diabetes mellitus has been known for a long time. It's a Greek term that just means sugary... Honey. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Sugary pee, I think. That's or, right. Yeah. And so that's how they diagnosed it. They just tasted, um, the, tasted the, the urine and it tasted <laughs> sweet. Too sweet. Yeah. But basically, a really a quick story. Basically, they first understood it with dogs. So they would remove pancreas from dogs mm. and they realised that dogs would start to exhibit symptoms similar to humans and that was the diabetic state. But then they uh, discovered the ability to isolate it, and they found the cells that created it, called the isolate cells. And so the first term used was isolatin, but they changed it to insulin, mm -hmm. which just means inside, in. Yep. <laughs> um, and they found that they got that, well, they extracted it from calves, so baby cows. This was about the 1920s. And then two scientists from Canada, they took it into a, um, a children's ward and mm -hmm. every single child in that ward was in a coma. And so they just injected it and walked, it down, walked down the hall. By the time they got to the end of the hallway, the first one was waking up. And so Very each effective. child oh, wow, just that woke must have up. been a great day. Yeah. And so yeah. about a year later, they, both of those guys got the Nobel Prize for discovering insulin. And yeah. a year later, so that was, I think, 1922, and in, by 1923, it was available nationally and I think worldwide as well. So within 12 months, so this is probably the fastest benchtop to bedside yeah. um, clinical translation that's probably happened in, in history, and it has saved millions and millions of lives. Mm. So up to about the 70s, it was we extracted it from animals, but now we can um, genetically gain it from, Synthetic, yeah. from yeah. yeast or bacteria. Uh, Donald on the SMS asks, is there a symptom for pancreatic cancer? I read once that you would experience 10 years of indigestion before diagnosis. So pancreatic cancer is a tough one. Um, generally, it, it's diagnosed very late. And so that's mm -hmm. why it has a very low um, survival rate. So I think approximately it's the 12th most common cancer, but it's the fourth biggest killer. And so uh, it hasn't got a very good survival rate. Mm. And usually... It's the, one of those sneaky, silent yeah. ones where you can live with it for a while without... So the, yeah. Generally, yeah. the way it presents would be a lot of pain, um, mm -hmm. potentially weight loss that 
generally will go with cancer. And because you could have a, a problem with um, the bile, that can go back into the liver and you can get jaundice. So you mm. can go yellow. But there's probably a whole group of symptoms. But general, I think about 10% of the people who are diagnosed with have some degree of surgical um, resection ability. Otherwise, there's no real options mm. besides maybe some chemo. You can't do radiation because it's a very difficult organ to get into. Um, so generally probably ends up with palliation. So it's not a great cancer. Right. Mm. So um, speak to your GP, I suppose, if, you have, if, you know, if you're thinking well, something's not right here. Yeah, they'd have to image it. Yeah. Um, and pancreatic cancer is rare too. Mm-hmm. So it is a rare cancer. Um, and indigestion or gastroesophageal reflux is common. Yeah. And so, you know, it could be many different things. Yeah, I was going to say, like if everybody had it. reflux, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thought I've got pancreatic cancer, we'd be in big trouble. That's right. I had Thai last night. And <laughs> 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 yeah, we all know the story. <laughs> okay, so th- this is, it then seems like a very fine balance between, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but between how much insulin is enough and how much is not enough. Mm. Or how much insulin is too much. You too can much, give somebody yeah. too much and put them into a coma. Yeah. Um, mm. So uh, it is definitely a fine balance. But the great thing about the human body is a process or processes called homeostasis. And so homeostasis is a fine balance. Basically, by definition, is a fine balance. Um, and you will eat a meal. That meal will inc- increase your blood sugar levels. That will directly relate to how much insulin is released. And as soon as your blood sugar levels drop to an appropriate amount, it mm. stops the stimulation of insulin, and then it waits till it rises again. If it gets too low, that actually stimulates the alpha cells of the pancreas, which release a hormone called glucagon, yep. which tells the liver to release all that stored glucose in the form of glycogen back into the blood to raise it up again. And so this is something that happens if you are fasting, for example. After an extended period of time, glucagon will be released, tells glycogen to release all the sugar into your blood and the blood sugar levels go up. All right. Mm. So we've talked about a couple of the most common diseases of the pancreas. We talked about cancer, diabetes, um, pancreatitis. What about cystic fibrosis? Okay, so in the pancreas, you've got the cells that create the um, the enzymes, but you've also got the ducts that deliver it. And so the ducts is more more so. Even that, that's where the kind of the cancer will develop because mm. the cancer is a ductal cancer in most cases. Now with Cystic fibrosis, the, the two organs that get most affected is the lungs and the pancreas. Mm-hmm. Now, in the pancreas, the way it affects it is essentially the way that the um, the bicarbonate... So, if you think about what's coming from the stomach, the stomach is dropping off all its contents into the small part of the small intestine, and it's going to be very, very acidic. So, it's going to be have a pH about 2. So, what the pancreas needs to do early on is drop in bicarbonate into it to neutralize it to about a, a pH of 7, mm-hmm. thereabouts. And so these ductal cells will do that. They release um, like a bicarbonate, which is not this too dissimilar to what we use in the house to, to clean some certain products. Um, but the cells in the um, cystic fibrosis sufferers, they have a problem pushing the bicarbonate across with chloride which is another kind of ion, and it gets sludgy and blocked. And so instead of a nice fluid secretion, it becomes thick and tenacious. Mm -hmm. And then that causes all the enzymes that uh, back further down 
the pancreas to get stuck. Now, I'm not sure if Michael said this, but the enzymes, when they're secreted by the pancreas, because they can break down proteins, um, and the pancreas is a protein, mm-hmm. um, you want to secrete it inactively. So you don't want to have it turned on in the pancreas. You want it to become turned on once it's in the intestine. Yeah, there that, that was a mention that you don't want it to turn on itself, to eat itself up. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And so with the cystic fibrosis, it's become sludgy and slow, and those those um, enzymes being secreted, but they aren't being able to be moved along. And so they're now turned on, and essentially the pancreas will start to eat itself. And mm. that's kind of like a, a pancreatitis state. Yeah. And so if this is not rectified, um, then essentially a, an acute or chronic pancreatitis state could ensue. Mm. Is it a fairly, I'm going to say sturdy organ is it or by the time you get to you know your your 60s 70s if you've never had a problem before is your pancreas pancreas likely to start acting up is there sort of a point at which you know it's just one of those things or all all organs all body parts age yeah and depending on the organ and organ system they age differently and some will age to a point in which they will slowly diminish what potential hormones or whatever it may release. And sometimes if it goes below that homeostasis range in which it can't Mm. buffer itself out, then it could potentially result in some sort of issue. When it comes to the pancreas, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's sturdy or not sturdy per per Mm -hmm. se, but um, one thing about the pancreas, which which makes it, when you look at it, like we said, when we do dissections and have a look inside of a human, it's a pretty pathetic looking organ like mm-hmm. you look at it and it's always the organ that students go what's that it yeah. just looks like it and when you pick it up it just feels like a bit of fatty gunk in your hands mm-hmm. and it's because unlike most other organs it's not encapsulated it doesn't sit within a, a sort of capsule which most organs actually do there's connective tissue around it that sort of protects it yeah. but with the pancreas it's not like that and that's one of the other reasons why when there's an issue with it including cancers including mm. pancreatitis that it's easy to spread around to areas around it um, and result in, in in other issues so when the pancreas seems like a design fault it sort of does seem like a design mm. fault and i'm not sure why that's the case but when the pancreas does eat itself in pancreatitis, um, it results in the release of all these inflammatory um, enzymes. Yeah. And these inflammatory, this inflammatory cascade can start to damage tissues around it and start mm. to have its effect there. And like I said, many things can cause this pancreatitis. Um, one interesting thing is that uh, scorpion venom can yes. actually produce pancreatitis. Uh, I didn't realise that until today, actually. You got stung. Until I got <laughs> stung and, and developed it. No, no, no. Um, so Anything could be happening in the labs where you two are. <laughs> but I think part I'm of believing the, those stories. Part of the, um, the strange aspect of it, it's, it's an organ that developed, well, at least in humans, it's developed in two parts. So it actually mm-hmm. comes from two distinct areas and then swings together and joins. And because it's got uh, the exocrine part and the endocrine part, in most animals, it's actually... Um, evolve separately yeah. and then it's come together and so that's probably part of the reason why it's a bit pathetic yeah. looking as well yeah. so you, you were saying dogs get diabetes do any other animals get diabetes that we know of well i mean every every vertebrate has a pancreas and mm-hmm. they all have um the endocrine aspect to it um i know like the lower vertebrates like the birds and the and the lizards or the reptiles their insulin drive isn't 
as mm -hmm. strong as ours, so they're actually more reliant on glucagon. So that would probably make sense because they probably just eat a huge big meal, get a mm. big rush of glucose, and then just go and do a bit of exercise. And then and, and the amazing mm. thing about insulin is, and this is, sits more with the type 2 diabetics, if you actually exercise, you don't need insulin to get into your muscles. The muscles can just soak it up themselves mm. without, mm. without insulin. So that's why exercise is such an important thing for type mm. 2 diabetics because well, you can do without insulin. Off. Yeah. I did read that there you can get a blood sugar spike after hard exercise. So would that be the reason why? So don't not do like exercise within your limits, of course. Don't go on a marathon if you haven't done any training. But, um, you know, if you're going to push yourself a little and then you you test your blood sugar levels and they're, they've spiked a little, don't. Is, is the message well, so that don't panic that with that? Go to your GP and So I would assume chat, that, that would potentially happen because you're requiring more sugar for, for energy and mm -hmm. so you're probably telling the, the liver and maybe some of the muscles and maybe the kidney. So the predominant storers of, of sugar is the yeah. liver, muscles and kidney. Uh, probably just telling that to, hey, release some more sugar into the bloodstream for me. Mm -hmm. And so depending at what time that you measure it, you'll probably be able to measure a blood glucose spike. But I yep. suppose I would assume if you continue to exercise that would drop back down. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting point. I think it's a stress It's a stress time. So when you exercise vigorously, you're getting that sympathetic mm. drive. Mm. Um, other times you get that is when you're sick, when you're ill, or you yeah, just had surgery. Yeah. And this is the time that diabetics have to be extra cautious. That's right. And yeah. you could have problems. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to keep your blood sugar levels too high for too long because sugar can actually damage your blood vessels, damage your nervous system, and do well, some pretty nasty things. Yeah. So... Uh, take your medication properly Absolutely. would be the message from from you, from GPs, from my GP to me regularly. 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 Mm. Indeed. Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike, thank you so much. Thanks, Karen. Okay.